You know, it didn't take long for me to realize that this was not just a sales call. It was about five years ago when he and I last got together. I think we met for coffee at the Tabard Inn in Washington, D.C. Man, I love that place. My guest was an industry colleague. He called on me for his job at Pandora. So, you know, we would invariably discuss his company and mine and outline campaigns we could potentially work on together. But this discussion quickly shifted. You see, he wanted to pick my brain. He'd been giving serious thought of making a film and knew I had recently independently written and produced a TV pilot. I explained how I went about it, and such began a discussion between two media guys who really are creatives at heart. His vision was simple. He wanted to tell the unknown story about the dawn of surfing in Ireland. He explained that surfing didn't even exist in the country until the mid to late 60s. To think that nobody knew that this beautiful country featured some of the best surfing in the entire world. That all changed when Kevin Cavey, Roger Stedman, and several other surfing evangelists put the sport and the country on the map. I could tell he was going to make this film. And while he didn't make me sign a waiver, I did promise him I would keep it a secret, at least until now. So it's my pleasure to have him on the show to discuss this terrific new documentary. His name is Sean Duggan. The film is Keep It a Secret. And this is backed by Popular Demand. Sean Duggan, welcome to the show. It's good to see you, my friend. Good to see you from uh, many miles away. It, it, I'm excited. So it's funny. I was uh, I was thinking about this. You're one of the only West Coasters that I've had on the show so far. I think I've only had one previously. So it's it's kind of funny and ironic that while you're now a West Coaster, you're actually calling in today from Belfast, Ireland, aren't you? I, I am, and uh, yeah, I was like, I was like, I was stoked because uh, you know I also got my my booster shot last week. I was like, maybe actually I can actually see Dennis in the flesh and do it uh, in the studio, but uh, we'll, t- we'll do that a rain check. But yeah, I got, got to Belfast a few hours ago and got to Ireland uh, yesterday. Got it. So this is my first international podcast, which I'm pretty excited about. And, and I actually have some international followers, believe it or not, which is weird. So listen, I think we, you and I have had two very different Saturdays. Uh, I wasn't sure if we were going to be able to get this today. I woke up and I had an emergency with one of my dogs, had to take them to the animal hospital. And I was kind of freaking out that you and I weren't going to get this thing done today. Yet you're in Belfast for a film festival and you're dropping off your, your film, which we're about to get into. And so I, I think your Saturdays may be a little bit cooler than mine. What do you think? I, you know, I, I don't judge. I mean, uh, obviously, hey, you know, taking care of your dogs and family, that comes first always. Um, you know, um, but yeah, it was kind of a, you know, the whole journey has been, uh, you know, surprises along the way. But yeah, today, nice ride. First uh, first time actually from myself, even, you know, doing the film. I had never been to Belfast. So, you know, I've been here for a few hours. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm here for the Belfast uh, Film Festival, um, which was the first uh, film festival to accept the film. Now I've been have a few film festivals lined up, but um, yeah, I just went to uh, Queens university, which is a beautiful university where it's going to be held. And uh, yeah, I'm excited for the, the festival. Before we get into that, I heard that you had a little bit of an interesting journey getting to Ireland. So you had a, you had to get to do a little pit stop because you had a little passport issue. So talk to us, what happened? Yeah, it, it was um, one of, uh, I forget how many number of lessons I've learned over the last, you know, three plus years. But, you know, uh, if, if I had an assistant, there probably would be about 10 firings by now, but I am the assistant. So uh, <laughs> I would have advised the assistant 
please check all the passports eight months in advance uh, because of uh, restrictions and renewals of passports is very hard in COVID. I was just kind of going through the checklist of uh, things in Mar Vista, LA last weekend. And uh, I looked at my passport. I'm like, oh, wow. I'm a dual citizen. I have an Irish passport and my U.S. passport. Irish passport's fine, but to come back to the U.S., I need the U.S. one. So um, I uh, I look at it and I'm like, ooh, last May expired. So quickly started <laughs> Googling express services, kind of hitting it for everybody I knew who has traveled. And, and basically the wind-up PSA for your audience is, um, yeah, express service uh, passports. A lot of those companies have gone away, those ones. So it's really you have to go through the U.S. Gov- government uh, passport office. So I called. The options were going to Aurora, Colorado on Wednesday, Seattle on Tuesday, um, or Honolulu uh, Tuesday a.m. at 8.30. And that was the fastest one. So after I hung up with the guy, I walked in and told my wife, um, yeah, I'm going to Honolulu in a few hours. And she goes, okay, I'll see you. She's been around this film enough that those things kind of don't surprise her. And, and if you ever want to go to a renew your passport, the people at the Honolulu Federal Building – um, they are fast. I had my passport in 45 minutes and it was uh, back on a plane, uh, back to LA the same day. So it was super cool. Wow. So you went to Honolulu to get that taken care of, which isn't that far from LA. Luckily for you, you back to LA and then you went from LA to Ireland and this is all yeah. in the last several days. Yeah, no, okay. It's hard to rewind it. Um, you know, I was with one of the subjects of the film, Kevin Cavey last night. Um, and, uh, yeah, if you had told me a week ago, you're going to be starting the week in uh, a Waikiki beach. And then on a, you know, on, on Friday, you'll be in Dublin. I was like, okay, that's, that's an extra 8,000 miles of travel. I was not planning on, but uh, all good. Got the passport and uh, yeah, it's been smooth sailing since I've uh, arrived in Ireland yesterday. So you sound like a jet setter filmmaker is what it sounds like. So it's, 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 it's very impressive. You're just, you're all over the place. So that's awesome. Riding in a coach steerage. It was, uh, yeah, I was, you know, it was all, anyway, it's, uh, you just get it done. Uh, as as one of the life lessons I've learned on it, you just kind of like keep moving forward. Let's take a step back. Cause I remember, I don't remember what year it was. I, I want to say this was maybe five years ago or something around there. Maybe, maybe a little bit less, but you and I had, I think we had a breakfast, um, you know, you know, I will say like you, you work for Pandora and you've, mm-hmm. you've been calling on me as a client. I've been your client for quite some time. I've done business with you through the years, both at Turner and, and probably at Nat Geo and maybe elsewhere. So I remember we got together, we had, we had drinks or something and you wanted to, I think you wanted that at the time, pick my brain a little bit about um, a similar experience that I had gone through is I had I had um, wrote and produced a, a TV pilot back in 2015, and and I knew you knew about that, and I probably even sent it to you to watch at some point. But I think you had something gestating inside you, and I remember at this conversation, you told me your plans to make this documentary film. You remember this conversation? I distinctly remember it. You know, um, yeah. So like that that you know time, you were actually it, it's very a thank you. I'm, I'm, I appreciate being on the show. And I also a show that has like, you know, I know you cover a lot of topics, but I know film is very dear in the name of the show. So it felt very appropriate because, you know, uh, well, you know, four years ago, you know, the the origin of the idea was, you know, my, my big passions for, you know, as long as I can remember, have been, um, you know, music, which I've been very fortunate to work in music and media for you know, a yep. long time. And then also, uh, you know, film. Um, 
and surfing, you know, so which all, all kind of ties in. But, you know, about five years ago, I was like, you know, way I kind of pursued music, I used to play music also, is, you know, I was very much, uh, I kind of came to the moment where I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll kick myself if I don't uh, do something, you know, because I, I think I like, I feel very passionate about film. It's like when I see film, it really it moves me. And, you know, same things that I think he, you can relate to. Yep. And so I was like, uh, I wrote down about 20 names on a piece of paper on a yellow sheet. Your name was on that, Dennis. And it was, um, you know, just like, cause again, I didn't have a huge network of people in film, but I had producers, editors, New York folks who had done some projects. And I'd said, I'm just going to do coffees over the next six months just to talk to people about it. And, you know, the, the theme that came back to me, um, and I remember, you know, I'll, I have a pretty good memory on this stuff. You were encouraging that that's at the, at the start, that's, that's the oxygen of the project that you know, it's like, you know, hearing somebody say that, that sounds interesting. If you feel like you're in that zip code, you know, um, that, that is the oxygen that gets you going. And really the wind up of that, I had about 10 ideas, um, at that time. And I was, you know, talking to producers and filmmakers, and they said, well, you have two routes. You can either option or come up with your own idea. And then um, not knowing, you know, hey, uh, I was close to thinking about optioning something, but then I had this uh, notion of a film, and I was like, uh, kind of started pursuing one of those ideas, which turned out to be, it was very broad. I think it was on the paper. It was like start of Ireland surfing, just kind of an incomplete thought as a starting point. And the film is called Keep It a Secret. And I guess let me just say, you know, having watched the film not long ago, um, and I wrote you this in the, in the text that I sent you right after I finished it, is um, I thought it's a terrific achievement, Sean. Like, I, I for a first-time film, as a from a first-time filmmaker, particularly a documentary, which are not easy to make, and I'm a huge fan of, of documentary films in general, um, I, was, I was really impressed with what you put together. And as I said to you, I'm proud of you. And I, I honestly mean that. Like, that is... Um, take that for what it's worth, right? Probably not worth a whole lot, but certainly um, I I was really impressed and and we'll get into why that is. But Keep It a Secret is, it talks about and addresses the early days of surfing in, in Ireland. Um, mm -hmm. And I love the fact that the very opening shot of the film is of you, which was great because I didn't know that you were going to put yourself in it. And it, granted, you're not in it a lot. But um, the fact that it opens with you is it made it feel very personal, very authentic. And so tell everybody a little bit more about what the, what the genesis of the film is. You know, that idea, which was on it, it was as you know broad as that. It was like, hey, it was... Uh, start of surfing in Ireland. It was a question to myself. I'm like, uh, you know, I grew up in an Irish American family, you know, going to Ireland as a kid, you know, one of my, I grew up in Jersey, but all my grandparents were from Ireland. So I very steeped in Irish, you know, culture out of necessity being the youngest of three, uh, Irish boys. And, um, and you know what I just, um, as a start, I was thinking, um, quite frankly, I thought this would be potentially a script to develop. And I was thinking, hey, is there a story in my mind of like a Californian going to Ireland? And I just started, um, you know, my my friend Sabina um, Kreinbuehl, who's um, an editor, well-regarded editor. She edited uh, my favorite architect, Oscar-nominated film. She's um, uh, has done a lot of terrific work. Actually, has a new one coming out, Searching for Planet B, on um, I think Nat. Geo in a few weeks, actually. Um, but anyway, she, her advice, she came over for coffee and she said, listen, um, 
tell me where you are with your idea. And I was like, I'm, you know, in research, you know, I, I was st- starting to ask questions and doing background, like, A, when did surfing start in Ireland? And it kind of led me to this person, Kevin Cavey, the person I had thrown us with last week, last night <laughs> and watched the film with um, in Dublin. Um, he's now 82, but he had, uh, I literally started off with like a re- reach out just to try to get some color of what was out there. And he had a self-published book uh, called um, uh, How Green Was Our Wave, uh, The Story of the Dawn of Surfing in Ireland. And he sent it to me. This is a Zoom call from New York City. And that research for the what I thought was going to be a scripted film um, or script that I was going to try to develop, all of a sudden I started seeing the opportunity that like, hey, this could be – this feels like maybe I don't need to create something on top of this. These uh, folks – I hadn't seen something. There had been some stories and coverage of them in other films, but um, I got intrigued about it. And the thing that really sparked my interest was um, Kevin's story was entertaining. Um, but I also just started seeing, hey, you know, I started reading, seeing overlaps of 68 to 72, which is the primary arc of the story was also yep. the arc of the worst years of the Troubles conflict. Exactly, which you which you obviously reference in the film as well. Yeah, so that was like, and that, and then from that point, you know, I I felt like um, again maybe naive, but maybe that's like a, a little bit of naivete is good as a first time filmmaker. You don't want to know all the challenges up front; it would probably scare yep. you out the door. Um, but I was like, that drew me to the story, like that palette of contrast that um, you know, kind of a I'm a huge Dickens fan. You know, the beginning of Tale of Two Cities it started to feel like me as reading about and hearing the stories. It was like paradise on one side. So the best of times, but also the worst of times for the Island. And I, just those two things, um, juxtapositioning just seems like something interesting to, um, a immerse myself in, uh, in the story and then kind of find out what would be that path for maybe an arc of a film around it. I felt totally immersed in the story. And I, you know, and I think I, maybe told you that as well, that I felt like that one of the best things I can say about this film is that it puts you in a very specific place in time. And I literally felt like I was in Ireland in the late sixties, early seventies when I was watching this. So you referenced Kevin Cavey. So, you know, the thing about just for our listeners, the film, there's sort of like two factions that sort of develop in this film, right? There's the, there are the folks that they're all surfing lovers. So they all have that commonality, but Kevin Cavey sort of leads a group of people that want to commercialize the sport in Ireland and, and really bring in more visibility, more popularity, more more prospects in business. And and he started s- selling surfboards and and other things with some partners. But then there's another group of folks, and I think I would say in in the way the film is is you know told, Davey Govan is is one of those voices where he's more of the again passionate surfer, but really is interested in in keeping uh, the beaches and the surf uh, to those that live there and and really kind of eliminate the prospects of other people coming in from other other regions. Is that sort of fair to say that that's uh, how you how you approached it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the story is really um, and that was a creative actually. Um, you know, when when I started making the film, and it really it started in 2017. You know, on the um, basis of Sabina, who would eventually come on as associate producer to the film, um, I wish I'd brought her on sooner, life lesson of the film, um, was, um, you know, I, I was kind of searching at the beginning. And what I've heard from a lot of uh, filmmakers and particularly like um, 
like Morgan Payme, who's a uh, he's directed um, you know um, Get Me Roger Stone, you know, on Netflix. He's a prominent, great. He was a great advisor early on, and he he kind of gave me uh, some intro advice, and still does. I was inviting me yesterday to a uh, screening of uh, Kenneth Branagh's Belfast. Uh, which is coming out, which actually came out here a few days ago. But um, he, but he said every documentary you start off with one direction on the compass, you're going to wind up somewhere off of that. It could be 10 degrees, it could be 180 degrees. It's just you. And what I was uh, kind of going into it is like, hey, I thought the troubles would be the primary arc. Yep. It moved down to two. You know, the first story is really. The Belfast crew, which you identified correctly as, hey, they were very um, uh, non-traditional. They were kind of uh, do it themselves, do it, not look for uh, approval from other places, counterculture, um, yep. kind of a wild bunch. And then you had the other crew, who was Kevin Cavey, who were, you know, the other dynamic in Ireland. And still, you know, it's uh, there's a big rugby match today in uh, the you know, versus Japan actually happening right now. And then everybody was riled up when I was leaving is, um, <laughs> Hey, you know what? Ireland is a small country, but it's a, you know, it has a global community. And, and he was very much about, he wanted to put Ireland on the map. Kevin's dynamic was this, you know, dreamer from Bray who really want to bring California and put Ireland on the international surf map. And the Belfast crew could really, not be more different in terms of you know what they were very concerned about was preserving their paradise and keeping it um from the broader world so that's that was the kind of the friction that kind of drove the story and i think you know and you referenced this in the film but kevin was one of those guys and i believe it i believe it's kevin that he was kind of a fan of hollywood and love love movie making and all that sort of stuff so it was interesting to me when i was and i watched this film that you know Obviously, California and Hawaii, all those areas are always known for their surfing. And I found it sort of really, really interesting that there was a point in time in history where nobody ever thought about the surfing in Ireland. I was at I went to Ireland for the first time a few years ago, and I was taken aback by just the the majestic beauty of its beaches and and the ocean surrounding it. And and the fact that that was never it was sort of like uncharted territory for a long time until these guys finally realized, hey, this is this is some of the best surf you'll ever find in the world. That's right here. And nobody seems to know about it. You went to Ireland when you were seven, as you referenced earlier. And there was there's a line in the film where, you know, that, that very first time that you were there, that the surf created a deep connection inside you. Um, I didn't even know that you were a, a fan of surfing until you told me, you know, when we had our, our coffee a few years ago that you were interested in, in this topic. But um, is that when surfing started for you specifically? Yeah, no, the surfing, you know, so the, uh, to, to put more color on that, you know, that line from the film, my family, um, the family, I strongly, uh, my father's side and my my uh, grandmother on my paternal side, uh, they both... Um, they're both from Sligo, uh, which is in the Northwest. And, you know, uh, Strand Hill specifically is where I have very deep, a lot of Duggins there to these days, a lot of second cousins. Um, and, um, you know, Strand Hill, to paint a picture of it, is, uh, you know, the land that our family owned and uh, many of them still live there is really uh, on, the, on the face of a mountain called Nakhnaray that runs from straight down uh, to the ocean, which, you know, obviously, in, or maybe not obviously, but in the 70s, uh, there was nothing there. I mean, it was there was a, a cannon on the beach. 
Um, ironically, like the, 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 the cover of uh, that film, the poster we have of the folks looking out in black and white, it was a photo, image that I just liked. I would find out um, kind of late this summer um, that, that there's a shot of me looking out with binoculars at the water. That's the exact same spot. And, really? uh, you know, it was like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that it was Strand Hill. It's just a, an image that struck me. But um, but now Strand Hill is, you know, uh, fast forward 30 plus years. It's there's surf schools all over. Um, a lot of that land, the farmland has been turned into housing. Our family sold off a lot of the housing. Some of my cousins still work the land and hay, um, but um, but it's really it's transformed tremendously. But you know, I remember going into the water and those riding those waves. My own journey in surfing. I, I grew up going to you know, from Jersey, uh, Westfield, New Jersey, going down to the Jersey Shore. We were a middle class family. You know, big vacation for us was a rental at Manasquan uh, for a week, and you know. And that was it. I was, I, we, my mom also cheap, you know, we didn't go away to camp really. She'd throw us in the car and we'd go down for day trips to Manasquan, Belmar, and we'd spend all day in the water, body surfing and boogie boarding. I really didn't get into surfing until my twenties. It was like, um, you know, I, uh, I don't know why it took me longer, but when I did, it was like, you know, it was like, uh, actually, I actually, I started surfing and joining friends who had grown up in Jersey with and started surfing Costa Rica and, I didn't get married till to my 30s. So I took advantage of those years to really travel the world and go make up for lost time in terms of surfing. You obviously have a day job, right? As, as do I. So you, you referenced earlier that you, you had something inside you, you needed to, you know, you needed some sort of creative outlet. And I can totally relate to that. I mean, I felt the same way when I made my pilot several years ago. And, and I feel the same way now when I do this podcast, it, it this podcast, you know, scratches a certain itch that I've got that my day job just doesn't scratch. And and that's fine. I think that's healthy for people to, to have multiple interests. So knowing that you, you work in media sales, you work at Pandora, like how did you, I guess my first question is like, did you, were you concerned about finding the time to do this? Like, I know, I know you have to reach that point in the process where you, you're like, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm all in on this. And I do want to ask you a lot of questions about next steps as far as how you went about it. But like, did you have that conversation within yourself and even with your, with your wife and family about, or am I about to set forth on this journey? You know what? Um, the way I went about it was, you know, I, um, you know, there, there, there came a point where I was just like, um, you know, I, to me, you know, my perspective on life, not to get overly uh, sentimental poignant, but, uh, you know, I very much am uh, impacted by my father, uh, who, uh, my greatest role model, uh, yep. he, he spent his career, uh, by the time he was 26, he had, I think, three children and, you know, kind of went... Uh, Son of immigrants, you know, kind of took that first job when he graduated NJIT in New Jersey, did uh, his service in the Air Force, and then got a job with the phone company. And that was his job. And then all I knew growing up is he'd come through the door and be happy. Like, I remember career day, it'd be like, everybody's like, what's your dad do? And I'm like, I really don't. He seems to be happy. He kind of comes home, he wears a tie, definitely. <laughs> And he would, um, but he would always have a ton of books. He met my wife, my mom rather as a a librarian. And, um, the long story short is like he, he spent his career doing something in middle management in Bell Telephone, but he always wanted to be a teacher. And unfortunately, you know, he finally got the opportunity 
he, he pathed himself out of it. You know, once we were up and done with Scott College, uh, they took a package, uh, had already started going to night school to become a teacher, wound up teaching at um, DeVry, which he referred to as the Harvard of Woodbridge, New Jersey. Um, and then and then he got cancer um, a few years later and, you know, very short into the chapter, which should have been his, you know, really his prime of his life. He was he was gone. And yeah, and it was a, to hear that. It was a lesson that which was um, I was around 30 at the time and I was like, uh, you know, it's tomorrow's not guaranteed. And it's like, you know, kind of like I I really when when you that's a long lead back to the beginning of my thought process is like the way I've guided my career since then is like um, go with what you want to do and and try not to let the noise of other things kind of get in the way because th- that there's always going to be that noise of like you know self doubt which I had a hundred times during this project but from the get go I was like you know what I don't have to worry about um, the way I equated is like crossing a river um, I wanted to film the film was on the other side the first stone to step on I wasn't going to sweat it I'm going to step on a stone and it's like I'm just kind of start walking and. Uh, in, and as that developed, you know, the work on it, you know, it definitely became, you know, I, I stretched myself over the last, you know, few years. And hey, there was times when I put the project aside, I'll tell you about like the things that were the challenges. But it was, um, you know, I think a, a huge lesson for me was, and, you know, as I consider a potential future project is, if if this project had not been as interesting and, um and I had not fallen in love with the subjects as much as I would, I probably would have shelved it along the way yeah. because it yeah. it's going to be hard at points. Um, but, you know, at the beginning stages, you know, I just kind of was like, okay, well, good news is they're ahead of us. So I, a lot, I got in the habit of getting up at like 5 a.m. and I'd work till like 7.30 uh, when I was commuting. Um, and I just kind of put the time in. And, um, and then, you know, like my free time, a lot of it, you know, when it wasn't with the family, it was it was to this, and uh, you know, it was, you know, just kind of like you know, other things kind of went off in my free time a little bit, but um, but that that was kind of something which I was fine with. You and I have a lot of parallels, it sounds like, and I I, I probably told you this when we had our coffee that time, but there was. There was a moment in time for me, it was around 2014 when I just, and I think it starts with really knowing what your talents are, right? And I, and I always don't really talk, like talking about myself that way, but I also recognized that I always had a way with words and I was always very creatively minded and I love to write. And I remember it was like, I was living in Atlanta at the time and I was working at Turner and again, all, all things on the surface, very, very good. And, and I, I loved my job and it was all good. I wasn't unfulfilled, but I also knew that like, I always found myself talking a lot about film and TV, particularly TV at the time. And, you know, I guess back at this moment, it was sort of the golden age of cable and all these shows were getting made a lot of original series. And, and I always felt like I always had something bad to say about many of them. And obviously there were many shows I I loved, but there were others that I always felt like I had something to say. And I remember I was working out one day at the gym and I had this moment of clarity and it was sort of like, why don't you put your money where your mouth is? And like, you know, you keep saying that the show could be better or that show can be better. Why don't you why don't you do something about it? And and that's when I went home that day and I made the decision. I'm going to write a script. I'm going I had I had an idea in my head about something and 
I'm going to write a pilot. And I ended up writing a whole whole season, the whole first season of, of that show. But and then I still wasn't satisfied. And I, I was like, all right, it's great. I love that I have it on paper. And I had a friend of mine, my buddy Nick, who was really championing me to to do something with it. He's like, you need to now take this to the next level. And and that's what ended up happening. I, I, obviously, it's a conversation for another day. But the fact that I would, I decided to go all in and and get investing and, and, and actually bring in the right filmmakers to actually bring it to life. Granted, never sold it. Never, nothing ever happened with the pilot, but absolutely one of the greatest experiences of my life professionally and personally. And I have this feeling that that is probably where you are right now as well. So talk to me a little bit about, I, I guess, like how you went about this, right? Cause I, I don't even know how, how hard it must be to make a documentary film or any film for that matter, but there are so many components to it. Where, I mean, I know you referenced a little bit about this earlier, but doing some of the preliminary research, but like from a filmmaking perspective, what was really your first step on this? Was it bringing in the right team? Was it financing? I'm not, I'm not trying to get specifics from you on that side of things, but just more like wh- where did you go? Yeah, I'll, I'll be specific for any prospective filmmakers out there who uh, are like you and I who are thinking of doing it uh, because it is, hey, that first thing, you know, like the, those 20 coffees I had, you know, that was my first step and you were helpful. Like you made introductions to some folks you had in production. Um, but you know, the first thing I, I did was, uh, I gotta say, you also get lucky sometimes. And, um, I mean that, that cliche line, you know, Hey, hard work kind of can create opportunities. Um, but, um, what happened was, so I started reaching out to Kevin. Um, and I think, uh, I think it's July, 2017. He was, I got his copy of his book. He was very supportive. He was like, Hey, anything you need. He started sending me archive, um, material almost instantaneously. And he's like, Hey, this is, you can use it, whatever you want. And then, uh, then I connected with Roger Stedman, uh, Unilever marketing executive who's in the film. Who just shot my note. He screened it yesterday in Kenya. Uh, he lives in Kenya now. Um, so, um, and he was like very generous. We did a zoom call, uh, from, you know, from Brooklyn to Nairobi. And uh, again, the value of Zoom, uh, yeah. not to be understated, you know, in terms of keeping a budget down, that was free. You know, it was just time and, uh, you know, me hopping on a Zoom. So the ability to use Zoom was, yeah, it, I can't imagine how much airfare, you know, uh, and preliminary research I did before I sat down with anybody. But Roger basically said, July, he says, hey, there's a big reunion in a couple months in Tremore, Ireland, everybody's going to be there. If you're going to do this, I'll be there. And I was like, Hey, and uh, I talked to Sabina, associate producer to be, uh, and she was like, Hey, if you're doing research, get a DP, uh, film it and get a good sound person and just get it all. And, you know, fast forward to uh, Tremore, um, basically five days, that that's our master interviews. I think that a, we got, you know, um, nine of our 13 interviews, uh, were done and we never went back for a second one. I sat for with folks from up to three hours. And so like, that was just like, again, it took about how you did it. It's like, you know, I, I put that on a credit card. It was not like a crew of, um, 20. It was through, you know, four of us. And, uh, so, that was kind of the way I did. I did not get financing immediately. What the idea was, then I brought on an editor uh, who was New York uh, based, but also lived in Dublin. Um, and 
he uh, kind of helped put together a teaser for the project, you know, kind of the equivalent of my pilot. And then after that, um, we took that through the next fall over the spring. We basically got that, that teaser done. We did the interviews, got a bunch of archive material, uh, you know, had some of the people show up at interviews. You talk about good luck, you know, Roger brought 17 minutes of vintage, you know, super eight footage, um, Hugh O'Brien Moran from Tremor walked in with a hard drive and he goes, I, I heard you're looking for photos. He's a photographer and his wife is teaches photography in Waterford, hands me, you know, 500 digital photos. So like that was all of a sudden I had enough archive material to do a teaser um, and then enough interviews to work with. And that was enough to get going without, you know, kind of running up the financing cost huge. So I was able to keep it on my own. Eventually I would need funding and I would go the crowdfunding route, um, you know, for the, the funding that would be needed later, you know, once I was further down the line. I want to take a quick break and then we're going to get back and talk more about the, uh, the actual behind the scenes of making this film. So let's take a break. This episode of Back by Popular Demand is sponsored by our good friends at The Waffle Company, the first ever get and give pet bed company in the world which means for every bed sold, they donate a bed to a shelter dog in need. So listen, I have to admit something. I enjoy watching my dog sleep. Seriously. And I have a feeling I'm not alone in this. You know you do this too. Watching my two pups slumber away provides me great joy, especially during a stressful workday. It's even better when you have boxers because they're known to snore. Not an annoying honker like your drunk uncle on Thanksgiving, but... Just a perfect little snore that lets you know that they are feeling safe and cozy. I'd like to think their waffle beds have something to do with that. Whether I'm watching my Cowboys, hopefully win a football game, or catching up on the latest episode of Ted Lasso, my two girls are always close by, snoozing away on their waffle beds. Sometimes I'll take a picture of one of them and send it to my friend Lauren, the founder and CEO of The Waffle Company. I like to think she appreciates seeing real-time consumer engagement. Waffle beds are made with organic cotton canvas, and filled with pure K-pop cotton, which is lightweight, hypoallergenic, and eco-friendly. And the beds come with two washable exterior layers that are very easy to reassemble once clean. We all love our dogs, and if you want to watch them sleep like I do, get them a waffle. By doing so, you're ensuring a shelter dog can sleep better at night, which should make you sleep better at night. But nobody wants to see a picture of you sleeping, so don't send that to Lauren. Order them at waffleco.com, just like the breakfast waffle, but with an O. As a thank you for being a loyal listener to this little podcast, use the promo code Dennis20 to receive a 20% discount off your purchase. The Waffle Company is based in Columbus, Ohio, and all of its products are made with great care right here in the USA. Okay, so let's get back to the show. Hopefully you're not sleeping. That, I guess, Sean, that was like one of my very first questions was like, how much time did you spend interviewing everybody? Because one of the things I loved about the film is that there's a lot of characters. Obviously, you focus on a few of the key guys like Davey and, and Kevin and Roger and a few others. But like there's there's many and there's there's Vivian. There's there's a there's a bunch of folks that. Um, so all those interviews, the majority of those interviews all took place in, the, in those few days when you had to kind of scramble and bring a DP and a sound guy and, and, and capture all that. Yeah. Wow. So, so we got. um you know, and, and not every interview gets used. So we, we, uh, I think we did, uh, I think we wound up doing a 10 or 11 interviews over a three or four day process. And now knowing what I know, it's like, you talk about, uh, ignorance is bliss in terms of like, you know, scheduling three a day. That's, 
not advisable for a filmmaker. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I did it and we did it. I, I thank the team. They were great. Laura McGann, uh, Graham Newcomb, uh, Dublin crew that were beyond great. Um, and then uh, the others uh, were really Viv. Uh, that's her in my living room in uh, Brooklyn. Uh, she came up, has been a great supporter of the project. I hope that she'll be at the premiere in New York uh, this week. I think she's going to try. Um, and then the last uh, was a trip to LA, which was um, uh, Kevin Naughton. Craig Peterson, who are, you know, really two great authorities in terms of surf journalism, kind of built, you know, work for Surfer Magazine in the 70s with their travel journalism pieces are kind of the gold standard. Um, and then another surfer up in um, Ventura, uh, Linda uh, Kai Thornton, who was not in the film, but that was more of a decision of um, she's a kind of came in later in the late 70s. And that was also kind of deciding, you know, where I want to finish the arc. So it didn't become too survey and just kind of stuck to a, a, a smaller story, the kind of the very starter of the surfing in Ireland. You, you referenced all these, these surfers as evangelists. That's sort of how you, you, you label them in the film. And that's, that's, that kind of starts off fairly early on in the piece, but were they all forthcoming and welcoming as far as like telling their story? I mean, I'm sure some folks maybe are a little bit more vocal about things than others. Cause that's just human nature. But like, what, what was the reception when you, when you did all those interviews? Well, the, the ones who are in the film were pretty receptive. Um, the ones who aren't, aren't in the film <laughs> that, that's, that's the, that's the answer sense. it's uh nice. you know it's hey there are a few that i really wanted to get into the film and uh you know i'll just say it i mean i'm not gonna pull it in. uh the britain brothers you know um it was a group you know um brian uh participated willie participated um uh barry um is is a true legend Irish surfing and very anti-competition which kind of split the family you know they had two brothers who were pro-competition organization and two who were not um and uh you know barry barry was supportive of the project barry is reticent to go on camera he's still surfing in his like 70s he's a phenomenal artist and um and and he's actually one of the more renowned artists in ireland uh for um if you ever think of the original guinness Fla. And those festivals, he was the artist who created these beautiful Celtic images. But like he, he said, uh, I'm not going to go on camera, um, you know, um, and we had tea in, uh, you know, Bundoran and um, sat down. But, yeah, it was, you know, the thing that was the people even who I did get on film when we did talk about the troubles, there's reticence. It was, uh, you know, the way I would usually conduct an interview it would be, you know, we would talk for, say, 45 minutes, you know, an hour, maybe north of an hour. And when all of a sudden, you know, at the end, I would kind of go to, you know, tell me about 1968 and, you know, what was it like in terms of um, Ireland and maybe specifically, like, tell them, tell me about, you know, what life was like in your community. And they would amazingly the the tone would not change it would change pretty drastically almost instantaneously and it would say um so the, the perception of these uh, these folks was very much like um and the way i would typically go into those questions is like uh, it was brexit was was brewing at that moment and um and it, it would like uh, i think about um you know one of the subjects who lived very much on the border um of you know 
live where the border life was a part of daily existence. And it was like first 45 minutes was super light, great joke. Some of the best lines in the film are from this subject. And then he said, okay, you know, if, 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 if it goes through it, it'll all come back. And it was a, the tone just changed. And, um, you know, when I read uh, Patrick Radden Keefe, New Yorker uh, writer's article uh, or book on the troubles a few years ago, uh, Say Nothing, um, you know, he talks about, you know, how hard it is to get people to still talk about it. And I feel like, um, you know, that might be something that I have a little bit more of a pass. I'm not an expert, but um, being a little bit removed. Um, uh, maybe uh, I, I am a little bit, I have more agency to talk about that things because, you know, it's, 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 it's has things gotten much better here since 1998, but uh, you know, the history looms large in people's yeah. uh, lives. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned a little bit earlier about how you originally thought that maybe the troubles was going to be more of the focus of this project and having just watched the film, like I'm glad you, you, you kind of layered it in the way you did. I, I felt like there's, there's almost like three components to this film. There's this early section, which is just reeks of optimism. It's all about this unexplored territory and the early, the earliest days of, of surfing and the challenges that these guys had to make their own boards out of wood and, and all sorts of stuff, which was really fascinating. And then eventually, once it starts to become very popular, you, 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 you pivot towards the troubles and you do it. Not it's not extensive, but it's it's it was like a punch to the gut, at least for me. I mean, obviously, I, I knew a little bit about that story, not as nearly as much as as somebody like yourself. And like I, it sort of grounds the story because like this this was there are these guys that are out there having fun and surfing, but then all of a sudden you've got these real world problems that are happening in this country that are that were devastating. And then you you sort of pull the viewers away from that experience and you get us back on track and 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 kind of wrap it up with a a little bit more of that positivity with with the story of surfing. So I you referenced the uh the footage earlier. So that was one of my questions is like how did you get your hands on all the footage in this film? Because as a viewer, I was like I felt like there was like a treasure trove of imagery and 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 photography that you, you use in this film. And again as I said to you a little while ago, it made me feel like I was there. So was it mainly just getting it from those folks that brought a lot of that? Was that where like the majority of, of, of footage was coming from, or did you have to get stuff above and beyond that? Yeah. So, you know, very fortunate. Yeah, so, you know, the archive surf material that we use in the film was, you know, pretty much um, almost a hundred percent contributed. Obviously there's certain th- footage that like um, some of the California footage uh, we work with uh, Opera Films, which is kind of, they are the Getty of surf photography and surf film. Um, if you've watched a, any documentary in the last, you know, uh, from Endless Summer on, they own that. And I just knew, like, for some of the Hawaii shots, California, I would go to them, and they were great. And then, um, and then also it was very, for, you know, Craig Peterson, you know, he's a professional photographer, so we licensed some of his work, which is just some of the best surf imagery I've ever you know, seen. It's like he, that he was coincidentally in Ireland in the seventies was just a beautiful, uh, you know, fortunate thing to, to have that available to kind of have somebody's lens who was seeing surf around the world to kind of capture that uh, paradise of Ireland in the seventies. And then, you know, from there, the troubles footage that was licensed. So that's, a, you know, yeah. we, we licensed uh, BBC, um, and then also um, from RTE, um, Irish Public Television, and then 
you know, those were the primary sources. Then we used, uh, hey, some Getty, some of the Getty images uh, because, you know, didn't have, you know, the surfers, you know, giving footage of, hey, what traveling through checkpoints and stuff like that. So had to really do that as, you know, kind of pulling from other services. I kind of knew that from the get go. I'd be like, hey, the good news is we have a lot of savings on um, archive from donations, but you know, that'll be an expense that'll be coming. And, you know, just license it as late as possible because, you know, not until like we were submitting to festivals did we pull the trigger on on the licensing of that material. But the trick in a in a good and I, as I said earlier, I love documentary films. But the trick in a good doc is that you now now that you have all this footage, which which obviously sounds like you had, you know, all the right material, and obviously it's finding that it's finding the story within your story, right? You knew the story you wanted to tell, but now you have to actually make sense of all this material and obviously add narration, which you do in the film really really eloquently. How to talk a little bit more about the editing because I know you referenced your editing team earlier, but. That is like that is a process, I have to assume, in making a documentary film. So how closely involved were you with that? Like, did you let your editors kind of have have a little bit of free reign with that? Or was that more of like a, a collaborative process where you were right there in the editing bay and, and giving notes? At the beginning, like pretty much everything, I knew nothing. Um, so uh, I, I feel great empathy. For the, the the editors I worked with at the get go, uh, Jordan and Evan, um, who did a great job helping build the initial trailer, which hey, some of that is still in the trailer that I cut. That's that's my edit for the, the current one. Is um, you know uh, what happened was like so much of the of the final film was a product of necessity. So I didn't have the endless budget. Like after you know. Um, those guys helped out in the beginning and then, you know, I was trying to figure out story and I just couldn't keep, you know, a team on indefinitely while I was trying to figure out story. So really what happened was, and this gets back to maybe the creative process, uh, but I'll kind of weave it into the edit was um, I got to, I got stuck in 2018, you know, basically that, that story of the troubles story one, was not coming together. Like I, I, I was like, maybe I'll, maybe I'll find somebody who is an IRA member or Ulster policeman who is surfing. That very well could be there. Probably is there, but I didn't have enough pints in, you know, Bundoran to do the proper research. I hope to one day be positioned to do that as another film. <laughs> um, Understood. But, um, but what happened was, so I, what I did was I literally, uh, and I go back to Morgan uh, Peme on his, advice i'd said hey listen i think i'm going to put it down for a little bit the project because i'm just i'm at a wall and my mo is usually keep going keep moving keep doing something but at that point his immediate response was like i think you're doing the right thing and it's like you know and i literally kind of just gave my space but in that time i did other film work and i actually uh i don't know if linkedin learning is a sponsor but if you want to get them this is their plugs coming right now LinkedIn Learning, um, you can sign up for a 30-day trial. And uh, I kind of taught myself rudimentary um, uh, avid media composer, which usually costs thousands of dollars. But uh, I made it a point like for 30 days just to do it. And I was making a lot of videos about gardening in Brooklyn and stuff like that. Um, but I, um, so I, this long story short is that time off while I was giving myself space from the story, I was, I learned how to yeah, producer style edit. Like I can't do a fine cut. I'm not signing up for an edited project. Jay Cooper, who came on after the, the crowdfunding campaign, he's a editor who took it. But 
Um, but when all of a sudden I'm going to fast forward to 2019, I had this moment where all of a sudden I was like, okay, um, the trouble story is not coming together the way I felt like it was, but it's like, um, but does this need to be a 90 minute film? And I'm like, you know, I don't know why that was in my head, but it's like, it doesn't. It's in, and when I kind of threw that requirement in my mind that, hey, a documentary has to be 70 to 90 minutes, whatever, all of a sudden I was like, I think this other story of the Keep It a Secret could be a good 30-minute film. And once I did that, um, I got to editing uh, myself. I started pulling it together. And honestly, from that point on, it still took a year and a half to finish, but I, I did an edit over four months starting in 2020. Uh, I took computer on vacation. I'm not sure my wife was thrilled about that to East End of Long Island. And I would disappear uh, into a room in this house for about three hours a day. And um, by that fall, I had um, essentially the structure of the film that is the final cut was kind of there. Um, I screened it for a few people to say, hey, can you just give me honest feedback? I kept it out of friends and family. Um, and the feedback I received was very positive. And at that point, um, that, that kicked off the, 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 I felt like, okay, I'm going to finish this. And then I did Got the it. Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign. Uh, Jake Cooper, which I'm super uh, fortunate, came out of the project. Fellow Jerseyan, he was connected because he's like the beginning of me down the Jersey Shore. He <laughs> was like... His wife is Irish. Um, he came on board um, and he took it and um, man, he, he made a better film. And, and Sabina, who is producer, but also editor, you know, that was, that was, that was the spring. And um, they took, kind of took the rough cut that I did. And um, so my, the long story short is we share um, editing credit. I was like, you know, Jay deserves the credit for like it getting to where it is in a big way because he was the one who really made the cuts great. And uh, I feel like took it to just a level and Sabina, quite frankly, pushing us. Um, we had some tough conversations near uh, Madison Square Garden in a production spot where uh, Jay and I thought we were done. And Sabina told us we weren't done, kind of sent us back. Um, but yeah, it was uh, I so I, that that out of necessity learning to edit um it it was uh it was something which i didn't have the funds to do it but i it, it i was it, it was so accretive to my skill set and now it's like when i worked with jay i could just be very specific and you know yeah. when i work on you know whatever is next it's like i probably will to the annoyance of the editor is like you know be involved because i i can just i i can start now i can kind of take it from my head and put it onto the um, screen. It's pretty amazing that you hit pause like that when you seem like you hit a little bit of a, a, a creative stall, right? And uh, and then you, you taught yourself this new skill and then you came back and that skill obviously was was super beneficial to you to finish this project. The other big piece in all this, and this must have obviously happened in, in post-production, is the is the music. And as you referenced earlier, you're a huge music guy. You work at Pandora. You're a musician. Um, you know, the film has a tremendous soundtrack. Um, obviously, there's a lot of what I would imagine is authentic Irish music, but a lot of you know rock music from the day, surfer tunes. You know, you, you reference Van Morrison in the film and, and his band Them, which I'm a fan of. And talk about... Um, 
as a music guy, you must have loved putting the soundtrack together. But how did you go about uh, working with music rights? And when you talk about um, the film, you know me, Dennis. I mean, we've seen shows. I think we saw Vampire Weekend, one great show in Atlanta. You know, we've seen we're similar wire in terms of music being big for us. It's um, you know the um, I, that was like the one thing about the film that you know you talk about uh, learning for myself is like you know, the thing that. I was very fortunate in terms of this film is like there were things that I felt like uh, to take a Springsteen line. It's like, you know, I love Springsteen's requirement from New Jersey is, um, you know, in his book, he talks about, you know, I don't know if you listen to his book. It's, it's great. But he talks about, you know, he knew his flaws at the beginning. And he's like, but I knew but he knew his aces. And uh, again, I I didn't know anything really about making a film, but I hey, I knew uh, Irish music. I knew pretty well. And I knew like hey, surf music is, I, it certainly is just fun. And like the process of just creating a tapestry of those two, I was like, I was there from like day one before a new story. It was like, that was just going to be like figuring out which one. And then, you know, how you turn that from ideas to reality. Very fortunate that um, Dina Coughlin and Rory um, McPartland, uh, Dina and I, uh, she's, uh, from worked at oxygen in New York and we got to know each other, um, in the nineties and she was the music supervisor at oxygen network. And then, um, met an Irish guy and they moved to Ireland where they set up a company for music licensing, uh, planet of sound music, big shout out to those guys, um, in the West of Ireland. And I reached out to them like four years ago, like early days in the project. And they were like, they hopped on a zoom with me and then we didn't talk for th- two and a half years because I had no money to license things. And then I, we, once I got to the Indiegogo campaign, I reached out to them last December and they're like, okay, let's talk music. Let's, let's go through like they, they watched the rough cut and they're like, okay, well you must have a huge budget because you're going to the beach boys a lot in this film. And uh, you know, she, <laughs> uh, they were, they, they, they started coaching. Okay. Okay. Let's talk budget, Sean. What can we afford? So what we did, and, and I'm sorry, and sorry, Sean, that was all like temp tracks. You were they were they were referencing. I'm assuming at that point, right? Did you like you put in temporary music just for the for that first cut, and then okay, yeah. that's that's what I figured. Okay, so yeah, it's like you know all the this was you know part of my education. You know, having worked in music for a long time, um, you know, understanding, you know, how do we um, license music? You know, I know I knew you know stuff from like you know, from obviously being at Pandora a long time, like music licensing you have for those on the, on the podcast who don't know it's, there's two payments. Usually it's publishing who's person who wrote the song and then mechanical, which is who recorded it, which is really the the record label. And so there's two checks going out for every song. And what they, they really helped was, um, you know, guiding me to, Hey, what's, how can we do this in a way that's cost effective? And really what we decided on early was like, like I, I was like, hey, I've gotten it this far. I'm not going to skimp here. But what we did was we licensed just for festivals, which is, you know, right now I haven't written the check for the worldwide perpetuity rights, which is usually about a multiple. So what we have licenses now starting on Monday uh, at the Belfast premiere, we'll have a license from 11-8-2021 uh, to 11 7 2022 of the songs on the, the record, which, you know, you know, we we did get a Beach Boys song in there, um, but it was we had to go uh, 
We had a little challenge. I'm not going to bad talk with Brian Wilson's crew or his attorney on this call. I don't want to sabotage anything with the film just about to come out. But um, what we did was we wound up going to a Bobby Freeman song, which is, uh, you know, been covered by everybody from the Ramones to the Beach Boys. Do you want to dance? So we got the publishing done and then they, they kind of helped get that done. But then also we, they helped me find so many great things that, you know, I, uh, I didn't know a lot about, um, you know, Dwayne Eddy or, or um, you know, all, all these great songs uh, like Sandy Nelson, you know, these songs that we found. And it's funny, it's like the temp tracks, you fall in love with your temp tracks. But, you know, the, the, the other songs we found were great. And then the last piece that was enormously I have to give a shout out to is you talk about keeping it close. Uh, my brother-in-law, Rich DiCicco, very talented music composer. Um, he, he signed on as a music composer early on and, uh, you know, basically, you know, would give him a track, Hey, this is the sound we're going to. And Rich can, Rich has done, uh, songs for, uh, mostly he's done, you know, bands, but also he's did a lot of commercial work for years. He's has the ability to hear a song and he can go, I, I can come up with a match to that. So he did that. And then the last piece and not to be diminished is, you know, I was, we had this Celtic obviously a soundtrack, but um, I was like, God, listening to a lot of playlists of Irish music in the spring during our final edit. And uh, I was listening to Solus, which is a band that was pretty big, still are in the Irish music scene, um, but was founded by Seamus Egan, uh, who is a world champion instrumentalist of five instruments by the time I think he was 12. And I just shot him a cold email. Um, and I said, hey, listen, I'm working on a film. And would you be interested in, you know, potentially composing? I need some help. He responded almost immediately because he's not on tour because of COVID. And um, in all of a sudden, four weeks later, he had composed um, like that recurring songs and threads and tied together a, uh, a Celtic music like uh, overlay for the soundtrack. So that was the way that came together. And um, yeah, I couldn't, you know, couldn't have done it without Dina, Rich or uh, Seamus. They really kind of. The, the thing I was hearing four years ago, they really brought it to, to fruition. So you're, we're coming up on the my, one of my favorite parts of this process, which is the marketing and publicity. I sort of know exactly what you're going through right now. But you referenced that you, you you've got the in the Belfast Film Festival this week, and you mentioned earlier the New York premiere, and you know the the film is an official selection of of Doc NYC, which is a really big deal, Sean, like that is a big deal for documentary filmmakers. And to achieve that with your first one is, is pretty incredible. So tell us where you're at right now in terms of like how you're promoting the film, what festivals are you, are you involved in? And, and more importantly, like, where do you, where do you want to get to? Like, I I would assume that you want this film to get acquired um, and get the distribution, whether it be on a streamer or a network or, or something. So tell me like where, where you go from here. Yeah. You know, it's if you would ask this question, you know, four years ago, I would have been much more uh, regimented in my response to say, "Oh, it's going to be on um, probably Netflix," and just like because because they buy shows. That's my very simplistic thought process, not knowing any of the business. Um, You know where where it is today. You know, like right now, uh, the 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 process of making this film has been very uh, a hugely satisfying but also humbling to the process and it's you know what i try to out of necessity and sanity is like uh yeah you plan ahead you know like um we we um 
I, I actually, I'll give you the specifics. Um, decision about four weeks ago is do I hire a PR agency? You know, got some great recommendations from friends and, and I, I actually worked with, you know, a uh, smart house creative early in the process uh, up a Seattle shop when I was kicking off the Indiegogo camp campaign, give them a shout out Ryan there. And then, um, but I was like, you know what? I want to see if this film stands on its own merits before I push dollars out the door chasing marketing dollars. So I was like, um, you know, it was about to pull the trigger on an agency. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to wait. You know, I, I, like, let me see if I can fill a theater first. <laughs> let's, yep. let, let's do like a, uh, a marketing test of like, can we sell out the premieres? Um, that being said, uh, pretty much every premiere is sold out now. So um, again, we'll see Like the, the, this, this is going out of my hands now. So what I've done is uh, my, my thought process was I, I know kind of um, as I went deeper into the production of the film, it was not going to get acquired before uh, it got out there, you know, and the only way in my mind it was going to happen and still is as of today is like, Hey, if it does well and people respond to it, it'll find a home. And, uh, you know, so far it's like, you know, that starts on, um, at Belfast and then, uh, I'm not sure when this will drop, but like, you know, at doc NYC is a big one, you know, to your point, yep. it's, um, it's a pretty prestigious festival in the documentary world. And, um, you know, right now I'm just kind of like focus on what I control. We, uh, so I am, um, I've licensed the film, everything in it from the archive footage, the music for 12 months. So we we have built out a, a festival slate. We've applied to about fifteen festivals. You know, got those rejections early. You know, which is good for the building calluses. Um, yeah. But hey, you know what? Um, I'm I. If you could have told me, if you had asked me this question six months ago, the wish would have been Belfast and Doc NYC, and I you'd you'd find me a very content person and that's exactly where I am today. I'm like, you know, it's like, I'm very uh, at peace with what, uh, the, 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 the film at this point. And now it's like, uh, it's time for me to pass the baton and you know, where I would want it to be is available. So, you know, it's like right now there's, um, in from business, um, obviously we're in media together. It's like, I, I think of that. And the other unusual thing about the way I've approached this is, um, you know, the next project is like hey I, at the get-go i should have clarified this is like i, I actually uh, had somebody else directing this um you know i, I never envisioned myself doing it i was going to be producer you know wearing the business and the producer role you know broadly there's a lot of variances but the producer kind of says yes for the financing the director is the creative vision you know out of necessity when you know director had tapped you know, kind of verbal agreement. We were going to move forward, moved on to other projects. That was like, it was either me finding another project uh, a director or moving it forward. Um, you know, where, um, where I am today as the producer of the film is like, I wanted to get it out there. You know, we're talking to sales agents about um, the film. Nobody's committed to it yet, nor do I think they, that doesn't surprise me because it's like, it hasn't even premiered yet, but like that we're getting some phone calls. I'm like, I'm interpreting, not trying to read into it too much. We'll take it one step at a time, but I would love it to see just uh, anything you make, you, you want to get it out there. So uh, I, I don't see it as a theatrical run because it, it, the, the runtime is 58 minutes. doesn't really make sense because 
theatrical is still pretty regimented. It has to be 70 minutes plus, which I think those things are changing. Um, but, you know, at 58 minutes, it feels like there's a lot of places where it could be a home, whether it's television or a streaming platform. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I uh, hope to have another update for you uh, later in the year on that. That, that's i mean listen i i was actually thinking about all the different places that a film like this could could live and make a lot of sense and obviously the streamers and whatnot a lot of those i think it's a, a perfect house for that two questions one is um you know our listeners are going to want to know how they can see this film right so we talked a lot about it they're gonna be like i gotta get my hands on this thing so is there a way for our listeners to actually watch this film so please shamelessly plug away sean and then i guess my other question part two is you know, are there other movies inside you, you know, other films inside you that you want to try to take a crack at? Obviously, you're not done with this journey quite just yet. But um, you had referenced earlier, you know, that there were some different ideas you had at the beginning of this. So I'm just curious as to where you go from here. But let's talk about how people can watch it first. Yeah. So uh, so 1114, uh, November 14th, DocNYC.net. Uh, the film festival, DocNYC, will run... Um, Basically, virtually from 10, 11, 14 to eleven twenty eight, the film will be available on demand streaming anywhere in the U.S. So that's the way to get it. Uh, you know, right now, actually, the the, uh, the premiere night is sold out in New York, and we're I think close on the second night. So it really that's the way. But you know, I, that, there's folks who've been emailing from like you know anywhere in the U.S. We hope to have uh, somewhere available for streaming for a festival set up uh, later in the year, but that's the immediate one. So set your calendar, put it on the Thanksgiving menu uh, for the pint of Guinness on the couch uh, <laughs> for some surfing nostalgia. I hope everybody, I really encourage everybody to watch the film if you can. It's uh, it's wonderful. I, I You told me a story that I just, I knew nothing about. Um, it's the best compliment I could give you. And like I, as I said earlier, I just felt like I was there the entire time and um, I'm all the better for it, but what else, where do you go from here? Are you going to take a break and go back to your family who I'm sure has been enormously patient with you during this process? Or do you already have stuff, you know, noodling in your head that you want to get started on? Well, you know, it's, you know, I, the short answer is yes. I have, uh, I, I, ideas and, you know, you know, my, my big priority right now is, uh, you know, obviously it feels it just, you know, after having had this was uh, a lot of the free time. Hey, I put it aside for a year where it didn't take much time. But the last, you know, you know, particularly in the spring and you know prior to that, it was a lot of time. You know, uh, what I will be doing is like, uh, a I'm promoting this is a different thing, um, but not having to go to do do an edit bay, uh, work on licensing. There's a lot of free time and. Uh, so what I've been doing is, you know, just kind of like, uh, you know, the biggest thing for me is um, you be, would be picking something, you know, because it's, uh, you know, I feel very fortunate that like, hey, I found something that uh, it seems to be resonating, you know, it resonated with me, which is the most important thing at the beginning. And then it's like, you know, we will find out if it finds an audience. Uh, my hunch is it's it will. It's like already the indicators are there. Um, but yeah, it's like, you know. I, I'm kind of thinking that like, okay, you know, I've had, uh, there's ideas out there. Um, I, I won't get specific, but, uh, you know, I am thinking of optioning something, a, a script. Um, and, and also I am very much kind of like, um, it, I don't feel like I enjoy directing super satisfying, but, um, but I also feel like, Hey, the, the, the producing skill set is, um, 
I, since I had to wear both, I feel comfortable with both. And I would like, uh, and I think it would be great to work with somebody who's an artist who I respect and uh, admire. And there's, there's so many in that regard. And I'm very excited just to get out and meet filmmakers over the next, you know, six to 12 months to see, you know, who are those people that I, can I just be, play a small part in uh, bringing their vision to life? I think it's equally, I think, rewarding in different ways. Um, so uh, stay tuned. I hope to have uh, something for you uh, down the road on that. I mean, Sean, listen, I, I'm going to let you go, but I, kn- I know that you're going to have an update for me because having watched the film, it's, it's, it's quite strong. And, and I know that there's going to be, um, you know, a distributor that's going to want to take it and, and give it to the world. And I can't wait for people to hear about that. But listen, I, I, I was so excited to have you on. That's why I've been reaching out to you for the last several months because I knew you and I, this, I feel like this conversation is sort of the bookend of, of a conversation you and I had, you know, as, as I said earlier, several years ago over coffee. And we talked about, this, this journey that you were seriously thinking about taking. And I, when I walked away from you that day, I knew I was like, Sean seems pretty passionate about this topic. I think he's going to do something. It, it seemed pretty clear. And then, you know, obviously you and I are friends on social media and we, we, we have done business together. So I've, I've sort of just been seeing your updates over the last couple of years. And I knew it was funny watching this from a distance, watching you kind of just take this, this vision of an idea and, and make it a reality, which I, you have my respect, Sean. Like I, I love the film as, as somebody that likes to be, in the creative field, I, I I love seeing someone take that vision and, and chase their dreams. So congratulations to you. I wish you nothing but all the success. I think I think there's some serious success coming your way with this film, and I think it's going to open up doors for you in, in ways maybe that you haven't even and seen yet. So I know you know it's 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 kind of fitting that you're in Ireland right now on, on the on the eve of the, the Belfast Film Festival for this film that takes place in Ireland. So congratulations. Um, uh, thank you for taking a stop on all your your work that you're doing right now and all the publicity and the festivals to share your story and, and um, spend some time with me. I really do appreciate it. Dennis, absolute pleasure. I uh, only have to do with you. You got to catch up in person in LA when I'm back. So uh, thank you for the, the time, Dennis. It was great connecting with you and I'm super stoked to uh, see you in person. We'll catch up for a pint in, uh, in real life soon. Yeah, you're you're new to LA. We haven't even gotten into that yet. So now that you're out here, I can't wait to see you. So please, when when things settle down for you, give me give me a buzz and let's let's get together and I'll buy you a uh, celebratory Guinness or two and we'll we'll talk more about the film. I probably have more questions for you that I didn't get to ask. Everybody, thanks for listening. As always, I'll be back in another couple of weeks. My next guest is Allison Moore, who is the CEO of Comic Relief and a former colleague of mine from her days at HBO. I'm really excited to have her on and I uh, appreciate your support as always and I'll see you all soon. Thanks again, Sean.